It took me about 30 minutes to get to the hotel. It had been three days since I spoke with Joseph Foy, and the entire drive had me contemplating this whole thing. The podcast, when I started it, I thought it was going to be something of a monster of the week type of thing. Entertainment for people who enjoy tales of the unexplained. I never could have imagined the shift it would take. My drive to the hotel was reflective. Look at me now. I'm a character in what was supposed to be a story about other people and their strange experiences. It never occurred to me before my drive that the people's stories I was sharing and the often life-changing outcomes that happened as a result, perhaps they weren't my stories to tell. It's kind of fitting that I'm in their position now in a sense. I mean, I have a choice regarding whether or not to tell my own developing story and keep the podcast going. But at this point, I think I'd be a hypocrite to stop. Right? I guess I'm trying to find the right balance between my own privacy and following through on something I've started. Part of me really thinks these stories need to be told, though. You don't hear about them on the news, but they happen. Law enforcement and a majority of people in general tend to ridicule these types of things, and they need to be normalized. Perhaps I should make more effort to randomize some personal information when I share them on the podcast. I can't help but feel like getting this out there is still doing some good, though. Jeez, I'm rambling into a microphone like a crazy person. At least for now, I think it's important to continue sharing everything I'm learning, at least for the people of San Diego and the bordering Southern California regions. This stuff is going on without most people's knowledge, and there needs to be accountability. That said, as I neared my destination, I felt uneasy. I couldn't explain it until I turned into the parking lot. I stopped after my car cleared the driveway before looking for a parking space. The lot was fuller than I'd seen it before, but from my perspective inside the car, I couldn't help but imagine my view in the spectrum of infrared, as I had seen it so many times before. This was the hotel where Joseph Foy's alternate self had been decapitated by a gunshot wound. It's where I observed the Grinner on video for the very first time. And it's where Ron's presence was confirmed by a version of that video given to me by Dr. Patel. I couldn't help but wonder why this location was selected. Was there something about it that remained pivotal? I parked my car, and without hesitation, began walking toward the room that I was familiar with from the video. There were a lot more cars in the parking lot than I expected. I wonder how many people realized there was a grisly crime scene here. That thought had me contemplating how this hotel was different than any other, and how many deaths actually occur at hotels that we don't even know about when we stay at them. I guess I can't explain my morbid train of thought, but I figured I'd share. As I approached the door to the room, I pulled out my recorder and hit the record button. As I raised up my closed fist to give a rap on the door, it swung open before my knuckles could make contact. Brianne stood and beckoned for me to come in. The lights were off and the curtains were drawn. My eyes struggled to adjust to the darkness of the room, and before I could ask her any questions, she leaned in and whispered, That won't work in here placing her index finger on my voice recorder. 
She was right. I had left the recorder on during my entire visit to the hotel room, but static interference was all it picked up. A phenomenon that I haven't ever observed with that digital recorder before. She used the same index finger to raise it to her pursed lips, indicating she wanted me to be quiet. My eyes weren't quite adjusted yet, but I made a shrugging motion, wondering why I needed to be quiet. She placed both hands on my shoulders and turned me towards my right, then pointed toward one of the beds. I couldn't believe my eyes, as the darkness soon revealed another person within the room. Joseph Foy was above the bed, seemingly hovering in mid-air like some kind of magic levitation trick you'd expect to see at a county fair. Only, he appeared to be asleep. Brianne leaned in and whispered, He's been like that for a couple hours. Apparently he goes into some kind of trance state to locate the Pyramidian right before it's about to appear. Sometimes he turns in the air like a rotisserie chicken. Fucking crazy, right? Fucking crazy was definitely accurate. I stared for quite a while until I realized my mouth was agape. Something about watching him hover in the air like that was mesmerizing. I turned to look at Brienne and was about to ask her why she had to whisper when she became startled while still looking in Joseph's direction. Being somewhat surprised by her expression, I turned to look at Joseph again, and I don't know how the hell he did it, but he was standing upright about a foot away from me, fully awake, as if he'd been there with us the whole time. I don't know how he was able to go from hovering above the bed to handshake distance within what seemed like a nanosecond, but it made my hair stand on end. He told me he was glad I came, and that he knew where it was going to be. He walked over to a little circular table in the room where he had a laptop and pulled up some information. I couldn't see exactly what it was, but after a couple of minutes, he picked up the hotel phone and made an outgoing call. Brianne and I could hear through the receiver that someone picked up and said, Hello? Before he immediately hung up the phone and told us, We're going to need to wait until sundown to head out. We all spent several hours in that hotel room. We each let our guards down a little and got to know one another. Joseph was, well, grandfatherly. He had old war stories and loved a good joke. He had a kindness and consideration for Brienne and me and was generally pleasant to be around. Still, there was a sadness about him. I sensed some element of regret. He held back his emotions, even when I asked him about Malcolm, but you could tell they were lingering, hidden behind bottomless blue eyes that contrasted with his light gray hair. Brienne, on the other hand, had seemed to relax. She was smiling and laughing. I'm not used to seeing her smile, but I couldn't help feeling a bit of relief knowing that she was enjoying the company. She's a strong woman who's been through a lot, and she's handled herself quite well among the circumstances she's been put in. We ordered pizza from this mom-and-pop place nearby and had it delivered. It was probably the best pizza I'd had in California, and that's saying something considering how long I've lived here. I never even knew this pizza place existed, and when I practically cried after taking my first bite, Joseph gave me one of those winks that grandfathers do and said, Good, isn't it? Once our bellies were full and the conversation began to die down, 
we all began checking the clock on the nightstand. Sundown was around 6 p.m. that night, and we all got into Brienne's car as soon as the light left the sky. Joseph directed her to drive to Coronado Island. After crossing the bridge, Joseph directed Brienne to a residential street uncomfortably close to the naval airbase on the island. She stopped, turned off the engine, and asked Joseph, Okay, what's next? He said, Wait here for a minute and exited the vehicle. We watched him walk across the road, past the house on the corner, and perhaps one or two houses down the street beyond that before stopping and pulling out a cell phone. Brian and I glanced at each other, wondering what he was doing. He paced back and forth for a couple of minutes while he was on the phone, looking at a couple of the houses as if reporting information about them, and eventually hung up and started walking back toward the car. Once he returned, he said, Now we just need to wait a few minutes. Less than five minutes later, a fire truck came around the corner with sirens blaring. Six firemen exited the truck and began to go door to door, knocking and evacuating people from their homes. While people gathered in confusion across the street from the fire truck, where the firemen were now inspecting the gas main, Joseph had a mischievous smirk on his face. He said, gas leaks can take a little while to find. Are you two ready? Brianna and I both chuckled and nodded. Then Joseph led us toward the corner house, on the adjacent side where the fire truck and all the home occupants couldn't see us. I watched him scale a shoulder-high brick wall like I probably could have 15 or 20 years ago myself, amazed at his physical abilities. The man just kept surprising me. Brianne followed, and then I did, admittedly a bit more awkwardly. The backyard was mostly level, but toward the adjacent wall, there was a steep downhill portion that Joseph motioned to. We were able to see one of the firemen in the window of the home, likely the kitchen, and remained out of sight until we saw him exit that room. Once it was clear, Joseph led the way and stopped in front of a large open wastewater drain pipe big enough to walk in hunched over. Once inside, he pulled out a flashlight. The smell was pretty bad, but thank goodness there was only an inch or so of water in the bottom of it. I'm not sure I'd be able to handle it at waist-deep level. He led the way straight back for a while, and then he made a right turn. After ten feet or so, the tunnel opened up to a larger room, where several other drainways entered. Joseph turned around and assisted us out of the pipe to the level ground within the room. Then he picked up a piece of rebar he found on the floor of the chamber and drew a big X next to the tunnel we just came out of, saying, In case we get turned around in here. I looked around the room and asked, Where to next? He said, It'll be here shortly. Not sure if you'll be able to get much use out of your recorder, but you might as well turn it on and try. And try I did. I pulled out the field recorder, turned it on, and pressed record. We stood there and waited for about 20 minutes, but then I can't even begin to explain what happened using words. I want to play back what the audio recorder picked up at first before I give you some additional information. Okay. 
In case you couldn't understand that, I asked if it was possible if he might be misinformed about the location this thing's going to show up at. It was dark and I couldn't see him, but I could feel him glaring at me as if I asked a stupid question. He told me I was very perceptive. We felt a great rumbling, like an earthquake. That's when Joseph said, no, it's coming. I was concerned about our safety. Then my head began to hurt. Brianne was asking if I was okay, and the audio just kind of warbled out until it was no longer recognizable. That sound proceeded to last approximately 20 seconds on my recorder, but there's a couple things I'm struggling to explain about it. First off, I have a 32 gig micro SD card in that recorder that was formatted prior to pushing the record button. It should be good for at least 12 hours at my current settings including the 20 minutes of standing around prior to hearing those strange noises, there's just a little over 22 minutes of audio recorded on my SD card, yet the SD card's memory is completely full. What I just played for you took up a majority of the memory storage, which seems impossible to me. The other thing that's troubling is what actually happened after my head started hurting. We were five feet or less from the Pyramidian for what seemed to be 10 to 12 hours. So not only was the digital recorder memory maxed out after 22 minutes, but after we left, and once I got home, I was greeted by my wife, who was not happy with me. According to her, I had been missing for nearly a week. She had even called Detective Anderson, who knew what we were headed out to do, and he was able to reassure her a bit, but he wasn't able to estimate how long I would be gone. Gotta say, my employer wasn't happy with me at all either. I'm happy to describe what happened during my perceived 10 to 12 hours near the Pyramidian, but like these details I've just shared with you, I can't say I understand it completely, or even try to explain it, so I'll just summarize it from my own experience. It all started with the rumbling sound that was familiar to an earthquake. And then we heard this kind of pulsating, almost mechanical sound as the Pyramidian phased into the room. It was like it wasn't there, and then all of a sudden it was. Brienne didn't hesitate at all. She walked right up to it and placed her hand on it. She seemed to be reacting with it, almost like she was having a conversation but not using words. She would nod her head, well up with tears, and make hand gestures. After a few moments passed, I could hear, not with my ears, but internally within my head, her conversation with her brother Ben. It was like a doorway to the dead, but that's not all that resided within it. Joseph motioned for me to get closer to it. 
I was hesitant at first, but after taking some slow steps toward it, my emotions became uncontrollable. Tears flowed down my cheeks as I felt an overwhelming sense of joy. I'd never felt this happy before, and I could hear Brienne, Ben, and Joseph's voices inside my head in unison say, It's beautiful, isn't it, Jeremy? At that point, I closed my eyes. I instantly saw into my past. It was like my brain was reduced to download information that I had long forgotten, and I just received some kind of upgrade that allowed me to instantaneously remember a lot of my memories. Even the memories lost. I remembered my children being born, my wedding day, and things I was doing with my life before my wedding. I remember bits and pieces of the Hydra experiments. I remembered for the first time the process I had undergone to previously erase my memories. Process that has been disguised as my accident. I didn't recognize the people strapping me into that chair just before losing consciousness, but I knew they were Hydra. Deep down, I had hoped I could remember my parents, but that didn't happen that night. It's a dangerous thing, meddling with ideas you've cut yourself off from for so long. I had made peace with the fact that I might never remember my parents, but I guess some part of me still had hope, at least after Joseph suggested there was a possibility that my brain might be healed here. The entire time all this was occurring, I could see different things. They weren't complete, but... I could see some of Brienne's memories. She hadn't said anything to me, but the injection that Dr. Patel had caused her harm in some way. I concentrated to see if I could learn more. It was removing her abilities over time. Brienne was with us in hopes to gain them back, and to potentially even grow her abilities beyond what she previously had. She had been keeping a majority of them secret from me. The Brienne whose head I got into at the Pyramidian was not the Brienne I had come to know. It's really hard to explain. She had an insane amount of initiative and was out for a purpose. I think I have spent so much time observing her grief, it was unexpected. She was ready to take on challenges to fight the uphill battle, to destroy Hydra. It's difficult to put words to this shift in perception, but let's just say I'm glad we're on the same team. I was also able to see some of Joseph's memories. He had deep regrets, mainly over Malcolm. He hadn't lost hope for him, but he was damn close. At one point, I got the sensation that Joseph was aware I was voyeurizing his memories. For a brief moment, it almost felt as if Malcolm was there with us. I could sense his presence, but at the same time, I figured it was likely just a memory or sensation of Joseph's that I was tapping into. Still, I easily recognized it after being near him a couple times now, and it reminded me of our conversation in the prison. It's hard to describe it in its entirety, what I was feeling at this moment, but I knew three things. First, 
I felt a bit ashamed, like I had been witnessing something unintended, yet I continued to watch. Second, Joseph became immediately aware of it and had the ability to shut it down, though he didn't seem upset. It was like the acceptance a parent experiences when they catch their child telling their first lie. It's just a part of being a child. And finally, if he hadn't done that, I would have seen more. I don't know how I knew it, but he had a lot of answers that I was seeking, but I just couldn't tap into them. I only knew it was there once it was gone. A void space, like a tooth that had been pulled that your tongue can't help probing. I also got the faintest notion of something else, though. It was almost as if Joseph had some kind of hidden motive for bringing me here. But that moment was fleeting. At one point, it was almost as if he suggested I not focus on the petty information of the past and guided me toward greater possibilities focusing forward. He seemed to already be aware of some events he wanted me to see and telepathically encouraged me to focus, so I did. Once I knew how to look there, I knew what was going to happen in the coming weeks, and when I leaned towards the Pyramidian and concentrated, I could see further into the future. I stepped closer to the Pyramidian, and my ability to see these things exponentially increased. I can't and won't tell you some of the things I witnessed in the pristine reflection in and around me for fear of those things coming to fruition, but I will share one of those things I was initially afraid of. I saw my own death. I can only share this with you because I could feel my emotions at the moment of my death. It wasn't necessarily sad. I am comforted. I have closure. I was also able to see beyond my death, but that part was confusing. I could see myself growing old with my wife, living by a lake in a log cabin, enjoying a quiet life with nature and stargazing next to a fire at night. But it's all happening after I die. I'm so confused. I'm not sure which version is real. I turn to look at Joseph, who has his eyes closed and his right hand is outstretched towards me. What's he doing? I try to perceive his thoughts, but can't any longer. But I still feel somehow reassured that I can trust him. When I touched the Pyramidian, my inner self awakened and I could see into the abyss. I now have knowledge of things that are there of the beginning and of the end. Alpha and Omega exist outside of our perception of time. They just are. The feeling of elation was basked in for hours after I made contact with it. I had no fear, no stress, no being worried about anyone or anything. In that time, we just were, and it felt amazing. And then all of a sudden, the feeling subsided and silence befell us. I opened my eyes to the darkness, knowing I had permanently changed. My body ached and I was exhausted. 
and eventually Joseph said we needed to return to the hotel. The car ride back to the hotel was silent. It was like we already knew what we'd say to one another, and speaking in that moment would just ruin it. We savored it while it lasted. I do recall that feeling subsiding as we re-entered the hotel room. It was almost disappointing being away from the Pyramidian, like returning home after a long, relaxing vacation with the knowledge that you inevitably need to return to the mundane routine of Monday morning. Brianne and I were a bit disoriented when Joseph started speaking again. He told us that we'd each experience new abilities over the coming weeks, and that came with a few warnings. He said that it would attract the attention of entities that hadn't known us yet, and that using those abilities was like turning on a lighthouse in the dark. It would draw them near us as we grew brighter. He encouraged us to use those abilities sparingly. He said there were things that would flourish in our light, and there were also things that would seek to destroy it once they were aware of its presence. He also warned us about Malcolm. He said he may be able to somehow sense us now, or perhaps inherently know that our abilities are growing without having been with us. He told us Malcolm had been exposed to the Pyramidian as well, long ago, and that he desired to be near it again. And we should not underestimate the lengths he might go to in order to make that happen. One final thing he suggested was to more thoroughly review the documents that Dr. Patel had sent me before her untimely death. He believed I could gain more insight into Malcolm's current motives by reviewing any information contained within those files. He seemed sad again at this suggestion, and if I hadn't perceived it previously, it would be apparent that he held some level of regret whenever he brought up his grandson. As we began to leave the room, I felt exhausted and somewhat sore. My legs were tired, which made me think of my physical condition as reported to me by my physicians. As far as the, quote, healing powers of the Pyramidian, I can't be sure. I certainly don't feel any different right now. The headache I had when it first arrived went away as soon as I had touched it. But I suppose I'll need to wait until my next doctor's appointment or brain MRI before I'll know if any physical benefits occurred as a result of my exposure. As Brianne and I got into the car, I sat for a moment and contemplated asking her about having her abilities removed by that injection Dr. Patel had given her. I wanted to know more about her motives for getting them back. I couldn't muster up the courage to ask, though and I didn't want to seem too nosy for peering into her thoughts without her consent back there. As she pulled out of the hotel parking lot and began to drive away, I got a glance of the hotel from the street just for a moment. The door to Joseph's hotel room had been reopened, and I saw someone else walk in before it left my line of sight from the car. Thank you for listening to The Storage Papers. If you're interested in bonus content, 
we share some of the documents within the papers on a monthly basis that don't necessarily align with the main direction of Jeremy's story. At least, as far as he can tell for now. For those and some other exclusive rewards for your support, you can find our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash grinnermedia. Or if you prefer to support the show another way, find our Ko-fi page at ko-fi.com slash grinnermedia.com.